ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. It is draft week. We are getting closer and closer. Tomorrow night, we've got the first round of the NFL draft. It feels like it's been just, I know the draft's a little bit later this year, but it's just like every last three weeks. So wake up on Monday. It's like, is it draft week? No, not yet. So joining us now to talk the draft and talk some Saints is Ross Jackson. You probably know him from the uh, a number of places, but if you if you listen to Saints podcast, chances are you've heard Ross before. He is uh, head of the Locked on Saints podcast. He is the deputy brand manager for Canal Street Chronicles, the uh, SB Nation site that covers the Saints. He is the co-host for the uh, Dylan and Ross Save Sports Show. You've heard him on the Hudak Confessional, um, David Grubbs Pod, a lot of places. Ross Jackson joins us now here on the program. Good morning, Ross. How are you, man? Hey, good morning, Scott. Thanks so much for having me on, man. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on the show. Thank you very much. You know, since this is your first time on, before we get into the draft, I, I got to ask you just a couple of, like, general Saints questions. Like, who is your favorite yeah, sure. player in Saints history and why? Favorite player in Saints history? Oh, pro- um, probably Ricky Jackson for me. Uh, and it's not just the name thing, right? It's not just us having the same last name. Uh, it's just simply that, like, if you look back to – you know, like 1983 to 1986 or so. I mean, he was a defensive player that was the most valuable player on this team without question. Um, you know, we, we give a lot of credit because of recency to the change of the, the culture with the New Orleans Saints that came with Drew Brees and Sean Payton. But one of the big changes that happened before that was, of course, the Dome Patrol. Uh, David Grubb and I, big fans of the Dome Patrol, of course, and, and Ricky Jackson for me was the uh, the stalwart within all of that in terms of the uh, the revitalization of the franchise version one before we got to the Super Bowl era. For the team. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, twenty years of losing, and then Morris Dome Patrol, and I love I love some right. of the D linemen during that era as well. You know, um, and and the DBs, yeah, good memories. But if they had been a little bit better, you know, and if San Francisco had been yep. in another division, Saints probably would have won some playoff games with the Dome Patrol. But not Ricky Jackson, an absolute beast. I think, like as a kid, I just loved Dalton Hilliard. I loved Eric Martin. Oh yeah, I loved all the Dome Patrol. Um, you know, Pat Swilling had that one season where just with the speed, he was just all over the field. Uh, I think NFC Defensive Player of the Year. But all of them. Um, and you know, is that got to be an adult? I think, you know, I mean, I have like an irrational love for Pierre Thomas. So I talked to oh, him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I finally, I finally got to talk to him like a year and a half ago and I just had to open it up and I'm like, look, man, I just, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. I just got to let you know that I love you now that we have that out the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you. I feel like I feel like my guy that I'm like that with that is, you know, somebody that not a lot of people talk about nowadays, but was so pivotal to that Super Bowl ring was Lance Moore. Oh yeah. Um Lance Moore is that guy where like whenever I get the opportunity to talk to him, I'll probably use that same line. All right, let's get this out of the way. Just oh, so yeah. you know. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, Lance Lance is um he's been on the show a few times and uh he's got just they got great stories, you know. I think mm-hmm. Pierre's story you know, there was some some downs in there that weren't right. that publicized that he, you know, he opened up about. But um, I, I, it's just kind of those unheralded guys that I think folks that follow a fan base closely, you know, ha- like you ever meet someone, Ross, I know you do, like from another fan base, and they'll tell you like their favorite player on a team is, and you're like, really? But right. you learn like, oh, okay, he means that to that fan base, you know. And I think guy, that's yeah. why guys like, you know, Pierre and Lance are – 
in the Saints Hall of Fame, not just what they did on the field, but I think that that uh, that love that they get from the fan base and what they put into it is what just kind of sets them apart, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Ross Jackson, our guest, ESPN fourteen twenty. All right, all right. I'm gonna. I, I, I gotta get back on track here and focus on the matter at hand. <laughs> hey, we can go down memory lane all day, though. We're really yeah. Good. We, well, maybe this summer we'll just. I'll bring you on. We can do like a top five or a, like we'll do our own unofficial draft. I don't know. We we can have some fun with it. But um, Great. the draft coming up, uh, first round tomorrow night. Saints are sitting there at twenty eight. Um, what are the odds in your mind of them moving up? If you had to put like a percentage on it, what do you think the Saints are going to do in terms of we know how much they love to move up. We know how many times they've right. done it in the past. But we also know they they need all these draft assets that they can get this year because there's a, there's a lot of open spots on this roster right now that haven't been there the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I always assume the Saints to be aggressive going into the draft. So I always lean a little bit toward the idea of the expectation that they'll move. So I, you know, if the basis is 50-50, I'd probably lean a little bit more to about 65-35, somewhere around there. 65 for me being that, yeah, they're probably going to move up in the first round. I just always assume that aggression from them. And yes, they do need the assets that they have right now. But if you look ahead to next year's draft, they have a compensatory pick on the way for the third round because of the Terry Fontenot hire. Then you're looking at expecting fourth, fifth, and sixth round compensatory selections as well for the variety of free agents that have been signed away this offseason that they didn't end up combating with their own signings with the exception of one signing that I believe it was Tano Passanio ended up uh, sort of negating in terms of a signing elsewhere. So when you look at the amount of fodder that they have going into next season, I feel pretty comfortable with the idea that, hey, they may go ahead and use some of next year's draft capital in order to move up this year, which, of course, is not out of the ordinary for the New Orleans Saints at all. Yeah, and, and having those compensatory picks isn't something that, you know, the fan base and the team, for that matter, has been right. used to over the years. But, you know, you've got them because you're losing players. So suddenly mm-hmm. you have some openings. Last year, a four-man draft class and you know the fourth one we, we could almost throw out it was it felt like kind of a petty move by Sean Payton that didn't work out in the end <laughs> but how I mean I, I feel like this year Ross probably for the first time since since 2017 um, you've just got a lot of open roster spots so mm-hmm. I I think you know are, are, could they trade up yes obviously with this crew but do you see them at some point maybe trading back not in the first round but going back maybe in some of the middle rounds, something they're not used to doing, but, you know, in a year like this would actually make a little bit of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the idea of them trading back, whether it be one of those compensatory picks in the third round, which they currently have at 98 or 105, potentially even at the end of the fourth round, they have that selection at 133 there. I could see them maybe trading back and picking up some additional day three selections, perhaps or doing a little bit of work that even helps them out in the future, right? They could trade back just a few spots, a handful to 10 spots, and then pick up a future fifth or a future sixth in the process of doing that. There are a couple of things that they could do to go ahead and, you know, stock up for that potential. You know, even if they add that fifth round pick for next year, they could turn around and flip that fifth round pick later on in the draft to pick up something this year. So there's a lot of different opportunities for them to be able to sort of play the, the puzzle that is the NFL draft. We haven't seen them trade back since 2007, but when they did, worked out pretty pretty well for them I mean, they walked away with some talented players in 2006 and 2007 when they traded back but if there was a draft class to do it particularly at the positions that they like uh, particularly over on the offensive side you look at offensive line tight end both getting shout outs from Sean Payton as being pretty deep classes wide receiver class just keeps getting deeper and deeper every year 
there's a lot of opportunity to trade back and still find some players that could be impactful, maybe to, at, at the start in special teams, but that could eventually turn into uh, impact players over the course of time. ESPN1420.com, Ross Jackson, our guest, at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. You could check out his latest episode of Locked on Saints, the Locked on Saints podcast, available on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and others. Go check it out. Give him a follow on Twitter, and you can get all the info there as well. So, Ross, with, with the needs on this team right now, I think most folks put corner one, linebacker two. Uh, if you don't, you know, you can feel free to, to, to share your thoughts. But I'm more interested in what, what position do you think is kind of being overlooked right now that you feel, you know what, the Saints really need an upgrade here and they need to address it. Not too many folks are talking about it. Yeah, I would go with the interior defensive line. I mean, I think, you know, the decision not to bring back or however the situation worked out to where Sheldon Rankins didn't return to this team and then also losing uh, Malcolm Brown, who ended up signing with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then you lost your edge rusher and Trey Hendrickson, who signed with the Bengals. Those three guys were six of the players that had the most snaps on the defensive line in 2020. So you have a lot of snaps to replace there, and the Saints love to rotate that defensive line. And you have young talent, but with young talent, also comes unproven talent. So guys like Malcolm Roach, Shai Tuttle, these guys that have gotten some production and have gotten some reps over the last year or a couple of years in Shai Tuttle's case, you just don't know necessarily yet if they're ready to step into a you know a starting role. So if you're able to invest highly within the first three rounds where you have essentially three picks or four picks in those first three rounds that are at least very close to top 100 selections, 105 being the latest out of those four, you could potentially find you know, a very good penetrating three-tech interior pass rusher defensive lineman that could come in and be you know a part of that rotation and you know be a guy that could operate next to David Onyemata for the majority of snaps but then rotate out so I really like the idea of looking at interior defensive line for this team at some point throughout the draft doesn't have to be first round there have been some talks about Christian Barmore potentially getting into the first round as the first interior defensive lineman off of the, uh, off the board, but there's later guys down there as well. Even a local guy in Cam Sample out of Tulane who can play inside and out. Osa Odigizua out of UCLA who could do the same thing. Milton Williams, another uh, another really, really athletic interior defensive lineman from Louisiana Tech, another local prospect. Those guys are all second, third, fourth round players, so I could really see them addressing that position, and I don't think that position gets a lot of conversation because it's not a big skill position spot, right? It's not a big defensive player spot but it's a very important one for what the Saints want to do well, which is rush the passer and stop the run. Ross Jackson, I guess. So if, this, if let's say the Saints stay put at 28, and Greg Newsom is still on the board, mm-hmm. and Zayvon Collins is still on the board, you got an outside linebacker who can, you know, do a lot of things inside, outside. Just, I just think he's – I feel like he's just a disruptor, right? He just, he mm-hmm. just makes things happen. And you got a guy who is really good, from what I understand, you know, in the zone, can play a man. Saints like to do a lot of press. Where do the Saints go if both of those guys – hopefully they have that decision, right? Hopefully they're not both right, off right. the board. But, <laughs> but if it works out and, and they have to choose between one or the other, which direction do you think they would go? I think out of those, they probably go with Greg Newsom. I mean, I, you know, Sean Payton has become more and more transparent a little bit as the, uh, as the draft gets nearer and nearer each year. And certainly we've seen the leaks, we've seen the smoke screens and things like that, thinking back to Wisconsin running back Jonathan Taylor, that news breaking on the 2021 day of the uh, day one of the draft as being the target for the New Orleans Saints. And of course, 
they didn't go that direction at all. But I do think that, I mean, when he comes out and he says that cornerback is a position that we need to address, or that is a must need, you know, that is a, that they must address before getting to the beginning of the season. I think they mean that. And certainly you look at, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to go on with Marshawn Lattimore. He could potentially miss some time at the beginning of the season. There's no more Janoris Jenkins. You're looking at somebody opposite Marshawn Lattimore. So you have to see exactly what's available and what actually ends up happening there. But if those guys are on the board, I do think that they go Greg Newsom. Zayden yeah. Collins has kind of been my draft crush throughout this draft process. Same, but yeah. I've cooled a little bit on him just a little bit recently because he bulked up to 270 pounds where he was around 260, which to me identifies some of this conversation that's been going on about his potential position change to edge rusher. So if he's not fully invested in being an off-ball coverage linebacker and he wants to pin his ears back and go after the quarterback, I think he'll be phenomenal at that, don't get me wrong, but it does drop him a little bit in terms of the value that he would bring to New Orleans because I like the idea of him having that as an additional asset, but for him being that coverage linebacker, that's really what I like him for. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, you see him at 6'4", 260, and what he did at Tulsa all over the field, you bulk up. I mean, I I like how you're reading into that. It makes a lot of sense, and if that's the case, then I guess you got to go there. But if – Listen, if Newsom is off and, and, you know, all the good corners are off and Collins is there and the Saints decide to take him, I'm not going to complain either. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, if he can put on, 12, if he can put on 10, 11 pounds between his pro day and the, uh, the medical checks in Indy, then he can drop that 10 or 11 pounds and get back to being an off-ball linebacker if that's what the Saints want him to do. I have no question about that. The guy's a unicorn. I mean, he's the – for me, you talk about Kyle Pitts being the unicorn of this draft over on the offensive side. Zayvon Collins is that unicorn on the defensive side for me. Ross Jackson, our guest, at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. He is the uh, manager of the Locked on Saints podcast, host there as well, deputy brand manager for the uh, Canal Street Chronicles SB Nation site that covers the Saints, and uh, you hear him all over the place. So uh, when you look at wide receiver in this draft, you just mentioned it, it's very deep. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm, I'm looking at lists. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not like I go and – study film of every single receiver in the draft mm-hmm. i'm just there's some that i saw playing you know i saw playing on tv but i'm just reading you know the scouting reports and and what the quote experts unquote say about them one thing that stands out to me ross is there's a lot of it seems to me that while Devonte smith is getting you know a lot of um conversation about you know his size and you know and, and how how small he is i'm looking at like all the receivers just as a whole and it seems like, I don't know if it's just where the, the game of football is going, but is it just me or are, are all the receivers for the most, not all, are most of the receivers like a little shorter and a little lighter in weight and a little faster than say they all were coming out like 10 years ago? Oh yeah, no, more than certainly. And that's interesting because we know the Saints prototype has tended to lean them over towards wide receivers that are six foot one or above. 203, 205 pounds or above. And so there's not a huge stock of those guys in this draft. I mean, Jamar Chase is one, but he'll be well off the board before the Saints get on the clock. Uh, we, we certainly assume that at least. Uh, you could look at another guy, another LSU receiver in Terrace Marshall who, who, hits those, uh, who, who hits those same measurables as well. But if you, you know, look beyond that, you're looking at bottom of the first round guys like Kadarius Toney out of uh, Florida, who's, you know, under 200 pounds, he's under five foot, he's under six foot, he's around five foot 11, five foot 10. Rondell Moore is a little bit smaller, Elijah Moore out of Mississippi, a little bit smaller. So you look at the sort of the, the prototype of these wide receivers that are coming in, it doesn't necessarily match up to the usual prototype that the Saints like in their drafts. Now, there are some others that are later towards, you know, the back end of the draft, you look at Josh Palmer, you can find a guy like 
uh, Joshua Matrabebe out of uh, out of Illinois. So there are some that are there, but in terms of the guys that are around in the range that you want to find for immediate impact, they're not really those towering, you know, go up and get it 50-50 ball guys that the Saints tend to like, the physical imposition type guys. They are the speedy deep threats. But maybe that prototype starts to shift for the New Orleans Saints now that you're looking at a new quarterback under center too, where they may be looking for a different mold at wide receiver. So those field stretchers, those guys that can be electrifying with the ball in their hands, like um, – uh, Amari Rogers out of Clemson or maybe Rondell Moore out of Purdue. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what you're looking for in terms of overall value, as opposed to those towering guys that you usually see the Saints go for. Yeah. It, it's a, if it's a deep draft at receiver, like everyone says, and so many of them are that Saints prototype, there should be some good ones there. And, you know, some mm-hmm. of those early to mid rounds that can come in and hopefully make an impact right away. Obviously they, Saints didn't want to release Emmanuel Sanders, but they had to do it because of the cap. Right. And so there's openings there. Um, I, I I think I'm anxious to see if Deontay Harris can stay healthy, how he's utilized in the offense next year, because we saw more of it last year, uh, mm-hmm. last season. You know, obviously he's been an all pro in the return game. But, man, that injury in the playoffs, once he got knocked out, it, it – you look back at the impact he was having early on and, and getting out of that game, that was kind of a, a sneaky, huge moment in that contest. I, I feel like, you know, you mentioned uh, the kid out of Purdue, the young man, Rondale Moore, and mm-hmm. I just I look at the size, I look at the speed. I'm like, okay, 5'7", 181, but how fast is he? And new quarterback, like you said, can stretch the field a little bit more. I think what the St. Stewart receiver in this draft can tell you uh, a little bit about what they're wanting to do different in the offense next season, no? Definitely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if the Saints invest at that position here in this draft, it lets you know exactly what it is based upon what type of receiver that is, what they plan on doing with either Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston under center. You know, Rondell Moore is somebody that has that four-three-one speed, right? He's he's an afterburners guy. He's not. He isn't somebody that was asked to do a lot downfield at Purdue. Doesn't mean you can't ask him to do a lot downfield in the NFL as you as you train him up, get him to NFL facilities with NFL coaches and an NFL scheme. But maybe that even works a little bit better towards the Saints, uh, you know, change of the mold here and changing of the guard here is that you have somebody that can you know become a returner with the ball in their hands just like Deontay Harris does. Now all of a sudden you have these two dynamic guys that can operate out of the slot and can do a lot for you and add another dimension to your offense. Look at Kadarius Tony as being similar in that the wide receiver out of Florida. And so it just sort of depends a little bit on, you know, what it is that we're going to see with the shift for the rest of this offense. Because I do think that they'll remain and keep a conservative element to this offense, work close to the line of scrimmage, make smart choices, all of that, but are not going to be afraid to stretch the field uh, more times than we have seen over the past few seasons. ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. This is The Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. We're visiting with Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles, among other um, outlets where folks get a lot of Saints coverage. Ross, Saints question aside for a moment, just looking at the top of the draft, mm-hmm. uh, what, where, where do you think – things just does it start at three four five where is every pundit's mock draft when do they start ripping it up tomorrow night like at what point in time is it like okay everything you thought was going to happen uh, you can just forget about it now because this whole thing just a wrench has been thrown into it yeah i i, I think that 
you know, pick three to the San Francisco 49ers is one that has been in question a lot. Is it Justin Fields? Is it Mac Jones? Is it Trey Lance? So that's certainly a place where that could happen. But I look at a real pivot point being the Atlanta Falcons at pick four because they may have the option of drafting a quarterback there. They may have the option of going with Kyle Pitts, the incredible tight end out of Florida, or they have the option of trading back. And so if they were to trade out of that spot, which I think would be ideal for Saints fans, honestly, if they were to end up trading out of that spot, and then maybe let's say the Broncos trade up for nine to grab their next quarterback, for instance, that might be a spot to where everything just kind of goes away. <laughs> so you know, everybody starts ripping up their mock drafts. Everybody kind of moves on. Uh, so that would definitely be a spot. And the other thing that will be really interesting is to see where the first defensive player goes in this draft. Because if a defensive player goes in the top 10 and doesn't, doesn't wait until, doesn't sit around and wait until pick 10 itself to the Dallas Cowboys, which feels like, a defensive pick there, that could end up throwing off the rest of the board too because there's a large expectation right now that the first nine selections of this draft are going to be by some combination of quarterback, wide receiver, and offensive tackle, all offensive players. And so if a defensive player somehow sneaks into the early portion of this draft, that could end up really throwing a wrench into what the expectations are for the rest moving forward. Another spot that I'd watch just outside of the top 10 would be the Philadelphia Eagles at pick 12 because really they can go any position, anywhere that they want because they have a lot of needs. They're not starving for needs at all. So really any selection that they make outside of maybe uh, maybe you don't want to get too redundant at quarterback, maybe you don't want to invest too much on the defensive line there, but outside of that, they could go any which way, and that could be another pivot point for this draft. ESPN 1420, I, um, I'm with you there, Ross. I, and I, I look at Miami at six, not in terms of where it could shake up, but just in terms of, ideal like where do you want to be in the draft my Miami with all the draft capital they have uh having a young team you know if Tua is the guy at QB time will tell but you know he showed some he showed some flashes last year but um they they just have I feel like a freedom in this draft that a lot of teams would love to have on draft night Miami I almost feel like, look, can they screw it up? Yes, any team can screw it up. But I think like they probably have the widest margin for error with pick six, you know, with pick 18 in terms of what they need and where the draft is deep. Miami is, I, I feel like right now, they got a really bright future. And I think tomorrow night, I think folks are just going to be reminded of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think that Miami is a really interesting team to watch. Baltimore became a very interesting team to watch after they traded back into the first round. They now have two first round selections in the last 10 picks of the draft there, or the last 10 picks of the first round, excuse me. There are some really interesting teams that are right there on the cusp of, you know, winning their division to being competitive to, you know, being there. And of course, we've seen that from Baltimore over recent past, but certainly they can use some more help over on defense after what they've lost here in free agency. They could potentially use another weapon on offense to help add another dimension there. So there's a lot of really interesting teams to watch all throughout here, Miami and Baltimore included. Ross Jackson, our guest, ESPN 1420. All right, getting back to uh, to the Saints for a minute and, and kind of tying it into this draft. It's all the national focus on the draft is usually going to be around the quarterback. But I think what we're seeing this year is going to be normal most years. It's going to be centered around a number of quarterbacks. Teams are more desperate to get in on a quarterback now more than ever. History tells us of these five guys likely to go in the first round, probably, you know, two to three of them aren't going to pan out, and two of them probably will. Mm-hmm. How quarterback pans out for the Saints this year is is the, the number one story. It's not going to be the number one story tomorrow night or even Friday or Saturday. That's going to be the draft picks, unless 
you know, the Saints take a quarterback with 28 overall, right. then it would be. <laughs> I'm not expecting that. But the pressure right now for Jameis Winston, um, it's – I always say, Ross, you never want to be the guy replacing the legend. You always want to be the guy replacing the guy who replaced the legend because you're graded on a curve that is – almost impossible to get an A on. And yeah, I know folks like to point to history and look at, you know, Aaron Rodgers or, or, or Steve Young or whatever, but it's so, it's, it's such a minute, it's such a small, you know, portion, right. Of of this exercise. It's just, I, I think Jameis, you know, if he cuts back on the turnovers, it's obvious what he can be. What is your expectation for him this year? And what is your overall expectation for the Saints offense as they begin a transition that, is I, I'm expecting to be tough sledding at times just because when you have the most accurate quarterback in NFL history, you can get kind of spoiled, especially when you have that for 15 years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, it's very easy to get spoiled there, and certainly we, we all have been in, in watching uh, Drew Brees over time. And you know, When I think about the, the expectations for this team, I don't necessarily put them in the category of you know, Super Bowl expectations by any means, but I still put them in the category of playoff expectations. This is a team that's still constructed well particularly in in all of this of course with the caveat about how they operate in the draft and throughout the rest of free agency here to fill out their defense but this is a team that has been built pretty well to contend within its division and that's that's what you want to do you want to win your division even if the saints were to end up second in this division this year behind the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with the additional playoff team the additional game this year shifted to the 17 game season over 18 weeks there's a lot of opportunity for this team to still play itself into playoff contention. So I still very much look at them as playoff contenders. I slow the roll a little bit over the past couple of years where we've looked at them as sort of Super Bowl contenders, but I definitely put them in that playoff fight. When it comes to Jameis Winston, I'll be, you know, my, my expectations for him vary depending upon what this offense looks like going into the 2021 season, because they could create an offense that allows him to be able to take shots downfield but still operate safely based upon Sean Payton's ability to scheme wide receivers, which he does very well, as well as running backs out of the backfield, something we know Jameis Winston is is accustomed to in terms of working with those versatile uh, running backs in Tampa Bay, although he wasn't they weren't game planned as well as an Alvin Kamara can be game planned, but still. Uh, But then you also look at the idea of Jameis Winston, you know, and his ability to also be able to sit back and just sort of drive this offense on cruise control and allow things to happen close to the line of scrimmage, allow Alvin Kamara and the run game, Latavius Murray, whomever ends up backing up and being a part of that rotation in the running back room there and allow them to be able to take the reins every now and then. So it'd be really interesting because we saw that with Drew Brees. We saw Drew Brees have the ability to be able to take control over a game, but then we also saw Drew Brees in games like the Christmas day game against the Minnesota Vikings, just be able to sit back and let Alvin Kamara go to work. And so it'll be interesting to see if Jameis Winston has that same ability to downshift. If he does, then that would probably equal more opportunity for his success. If he doesn't have the ability to downshift and play it a little cool, then all of a sudden you see the turnovers start to pile up, the risks start to pile up. And we know Sean Payton is very risk averse in terms of turnovers. So you could see a little bit of contention happening there. But but Jameis Winston saying all the right things so far now, just can he translate it out onto the field? ESPN 1420.com is the great Scott show. Ross Jackson, our guest right now. For those listening via the stream, the Listen Live player brought to you by Champagne's Market in the oil center. Champagne's going the extra mile. Um, I think it's, for obvious reasons, the most pressure is is on Winston this year, and I would say number two on that list is Davenport. 
Um, mm-hmm. Again, graded with a curve, right? Your first round pick, you graded with a curve. Your first round pick, right. and a team traded a one to get up to get you. It's kind of a double curve. And when a guy that was taken in the third round is putting up, you know, uh, the second of most sacks in the league, then um, just throw another curve in there. So it's it's kind of like you've seen the flashes. It just hasn't, whether it be health, whether it just be consistency. You see flashes of what that ceiling can be, Ross, but it seems like undoubtedly after Winston, the most pressure in terms of you got to perform this season for the Saints, I I feel like it's Davenport. Is there someone else in your mind, or is he the obvious number two answer to this question? I think Davenport's a really good one. I would throw Traquan Smith in there as well. Uh, Traquan Smith was invested in or the third-round selection in that same draft in 2018, but hasn't really gotten the opportunity to play the position that he was brought in to play. I mean, he was drafted while the Saints were still working with Ted Ginn Jr., and then all of a sudden Emmanuel Sanders shows up. So he hasn't really gotten the opportunity to be what he was at UCF, which is a Z flanker opposite the X receiver in this case, uh, Michael Thomas being a deep threat, all those things. We haven't really seen him be able to do that just yet. So it would be really interesting to see how, with the shift in the offense, if he ends up becoming that guy that they drafted him to be. So he would be one that I watch out for. But I do think that Marcus Davenport is the, the biggest one right now. I mean, he's basically he's the like kind of equivalent to having a bunch of really, really good tools, but no toolbox to put them in. And so they're just scattered kind of all over the place. So what you're doing is that you're trying to take all of these tools that he has, and he came into the NFL raw, so everyone knew that he was going to be a bit of a development project. He has incredible tools. Now it's just about packaging them all together, helping him with body control, helping him finish plays, helping him be able to take tighter angles, and just packaging them in a neater environment so that he's able to deploy them a little bit more efficiently. Right now we're seeing a lack of that efficiency, which leads to the lack of consistency that comes with that. And so if he's able to pull all of that together and get all of it in a nice, tidy space, then it ends up helping him in his evaluation going into what is essentially, you know, fifth-year option and all that as a part of the conversation, but it's essentially a contract year for him. It's, it's hard to grade um, a draft. I mean, everyone's going to do it. I say everyone. Many are going to do it, and I'll, I'll react, so I'm, not, I'm a hypocrite here. But honestly, we, we grade drafts a few years down the road, you know. Um, you know in mm-hmm. 2015, almost all those guys made the team, but it was because there were a lot of open spots on the roster. And as it turned out, that really wasn't a great draft when you look back at it. 2017, obviously great. In the moment, we didn't know. I mean, you, you saw uh, plenty of reports of, ah, see, why they trade up to get this guy or that guy? or What are they doing mm-hmm. here? <laughs> and it's it's one of the best drafts in, in the history of the NFL. So I, I – not so much grade-wise, Ross, and, and knowing full well that three years from now your answer might change. And what, what ideally, though, like what could the Saints do tomorrow? Two-part final question. What could they do tomorrow and, and Friday and Saturday, for that matter, that would make you say, ask the question, what the hell are they doing? And, and what could they do where you would say, you know what, I, I like what the Saints did here. I know it's pretty open-ended and can change, but I, I also know that we're human and we're going to react whether we tell ourselves, yeah, let's, let's wait a few years. No, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to react fr- tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday. Right, yeah. I think that the, the big kind of like what the hell are they doing scenario for me would be them uh, mortgaging a little bit too much in a trade-up. So the idea of maybe moving into – the top 15, right? Trying to get, you know, they have a really good trade, um, really good trade partnership with both the, the New England Patriots and the Minnesota Vikings, but trading into the top 15 of a draft 
is is pretty tough. Um, and so, you know, you look at the last time they did something like that, that was them moving from 28 to uh, 14, if I remember correctly, to draft uh, to draft Marcus yeah. Davenport. I mean, they moved up quite a bit right. in order to get up there, and that cost them two firsts and a fifth in order to do that. If they were to do that here, especially with the the unknown of what this season can be, and therefore what they're going to what's going to be necessary for them next season, I might be a little bit concerned there, depending upon the prospect that they walk away with. And the the issue being that you know, you get all, you know, you, you do that and you spend all that draft capital to move up for a player and then do they actually pan out becomes the big thing, you know? So that would be kind of the one thing that would cause some concern for me, but in terms of really walking away as, you know, victorious in this draft in a way, or at least like with their best foot forward going into the 2021 season, I think moving up a responsible amount of selections into the early twenties to grab a cornerback, whether it be Caleb Farley or Greg Newsom makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, moving up again in the second round, potentially to get up early to grab one of the remaining linebackers makes a ton of sense. And then finding ways to fill out some of these other positions, whether it be interior defensive line, whether it be wide receiver later on in the draft, and then maybe even doubling up at cornerback at a later point, looking at, you know, maybe some of these other guys that are a little bit unsung, like a Robert Rochelle out of UCA, or maybe a Tay Gowan later on in this draft, Paulson Adebo out of Stanford. If you double up at corner, it just increase it and we've seen them do that before they did it with Natrell Jamerson as well as Cameron Moore just a few years ago in uh in 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 one of the NFL drafts here and so we've seen them double up at defensive back so I could see them do that and I also wouldn't mind them walking away with another running back in the middle rounds not somebody that's going to replace Alvin Kamara but you have a contract year essentially for Latavius Murray he was reportedly on the trade block at the beginning of the season. You could potentially save some money if you decide to move on from him post June one. So, I mean, if you get a running back that you feel like could come in and has a similar skill set, a similar tools, like maybe a Trey Sermon, then maybe that gives you an opportunity to, you know, save yourself a little bit of money, pay for your draft class, and then have another cheap running back on the roster with a lot of talent between the tackles, and that can do a little bit of everything as well. Good contact balance can catch. If you can find those guys later on in this draft in a multitude of different ways that might be a really worthwhile investment for them as well. One guy worth keeping an eye on in those middle rounds, Elijah Mitchell, Louisiana Ragin Cajun from Erath. He has got the skill set. He's got the speed, and um, he's a great guy. So I I know he he laughed. He's like, yeah, my family keeps asking, you know, what about the Saints? Did they talk to you? He's like, hey, I just tell them I'm going where whoever picks me. So there (laughs) might be some family members if, if the Saints decide to go that route. All right, Ross Jackson has been our guest. Final question. The movie Draft Day, awesome or awful, memorable or meh, great or gross? How do you feel? Um, can I just say yes? Because it's kind of all those things, <laughs> right? I mean, it's one of those movies. It's definitely one of those movies that is like so, so bad that it's good. I mean, we spend the entire time in this movie talking about whether or not they should trade up for a running back in the first round. And, you know, as we look at it from the analytics age of football, it's just so uh, outside of the ordinary, right, in terms of what we're accustomed to. So, so my answer is kind of yes, because it is all those things, and it is all those things because of their own counterpart there. Fair enough. Great stuff. At Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter, guys, give him a follow. He is uh, on the Locked on Saints podcast. You can subscribe and listen. Great content there. Great content over at Canal Street Chronicles, SB Nation site covering the Saints. He and others do a terrific job there. He's also the co-host of Dylan and Ross Save Sports and much more. Ross, I appreciate the time, man. It's been great talking. And um, love to have you on again in the future, man. And uh, maybe sometime this summer we can, we can have some kind of Saints draft where we're drafting players from history. 
I'm loving that, man. I very much look forward to that. I uh, look forward to next time being able to be on with you. Such a blast. I appreciate you having me and hope uh, you and everybody at the studio are doing well here. All the best. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, brother.